Tickets? Check. Popcorn and beverage? Check. It's showtime. Local talk that's moving the needle. From the iHub Radio Screening Room, this is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is, thank you for listening to Flicks and Picks. Uh, it's been, it's been a week in the movies. We have the Golden Globes, and I got to see two movies that technically came out last year, but they finally got wide release. And again, as I've said before, accessibility is my thing when it comes to movies because I believe that it's important to make movies accessible to the general public, so that way they can enjoy the movies and have their own opinions of things, you know, and it's funny because one of the Golden Globe winners, one of the big winners, got a major release. Now, um, one little quick lesson is that there's something called a limited release and a wide release. Usually a movie gets released in limited screenings if it's wanting to get nominated for an award or they feel like the big cities are sort of a test market to see if it's a movie that could potentially be uh, be distributed in more theaters like smaller theaters um los angeles and new york would be the guaranteed places so if you live there you're most likely have seen 1917 and just mercy by now because that's just how it is um they get limited screenings in those theaters and then later on in the next year um usually this happens in the december months and then in january in the beginning of the year when the awards are starting to come in um, then they get wide release, meaning that everybody gets them. For the most part, everybody. Sure, there's going to be every once in a while a few theaters that will get a that will not get a film. It it happens, but that's typically the nature of the beast, and that's what and that's why I was able to watch 1917 and Just Mercy um, this week. But I also wanted to point out that it's kind of funny how the the best picture drama winner for this year at the Golden Globes just coincidentally came out on wide release literally the next uh, the week of of the pretty much the Golden Globes of the, of winning the Golden Globe it's kind of an interesting fun coincidence um it happens sometimes like you if a movie gets limited release only to get only to really qualify for Oscar nominations or Golden Globe nominations it is common to release your film afterwards in a wide release because you are guaranteed more box office money because a movie like 1917 and Just Mercy not in the case of Just Mercy because it didn't get nominated for anything really um, it's an opportunity for those films to make money and it we have to be honest it's it's okay to make money at the box office because that because it means people saw it that's just how it is that's how they measure to see if people actually went to see a movie and in some cases it's, it's even the way it's it's even something that could be valuable to a to a to a film studio because if they don't win awards at least they can say oh i made money that's just one backup plan and i think that's actually a really good one if you don't win awards at least you make money based on nominations and people know your movie and if they feel like your movie should have won it helps too it helps towards the film's legacy but i wanted to talk about the 77th golden globes um i guess i'll get this out of the way R ricky gervais did a good job i i liked his 
comedic approach to it but i have always had issues with him as a person like i always feel that he is not in a position to really call out people but it was funny like i i thought it was funny and amusing but some people in that audience i i felt didn't deserve that sort of attack like lauren graham i don't think i think a lot of people on social media are going after her for reacting badly to a joke but she probably just didn't think it was funny it happens people just just because it's offensive doesn't automatically it's mean it's funny and just because it's inoffensive it doesn't mean it's unfunny you know what i mean it doesn't work like that it's if it's funny it's funny and there were some times where i laughed and there's sometimes where i thought he was on point about things but hey it happens at award shows it's okay to sub to to host your award show and subvert ideas like don't be political when you get your speech just accept your award that's that's always been a criticism people have been driving at these award ceremonies as if that's a modern thing but it's really not it's been around for a while even in the 70s um ron brando made a big political statement when he won the oscar for the godfather so i feel like these types of jokes kind of they're trying to come across as a, as relevant as if this these are just things that are just happening now as opposed to the past. But no, I, I don't think I, I think if you study how award ceremonies have always been, they've always had some tinge of politicalness to them. A movie like Norma Ray winning an Oscar, that's some political aspect to it. And but it happens, you know, he, humans vote for these awards. It's it's possible and human for someone to have biases and that's okay that's okay but overall i think he's a likable as i've said on better than working with shelly and uh, jimmy francisco earlier yesterday i did say that he was a likable dbag i'm gonna censor myself on my own show because this is a movie show <laughs> but you, you, you get what I mean. He's a likable jerk. And I think that's always been Ricky Gervais's um, shtick. But again, he's not in a position to really think of himself as a morally higher person than everyone here. But let's go on to the actual nominees because I didn't want to spend too much time talking about the speech, but I did. Um, the winners for best drama were... 1917 so again as i've addressed earlier it, i thought it was it's a great movie and i'll get into it later but it's just such a funny coincidence that the film finally got wide release and it got a best picture drama win to help it out which is fine i think some people were going to ignore the film because it happens with war movies there's so many war movies that come out and they always try to romanticize it but 1917 doesn't try to do that and i appreciate that and I'll tell you, I'll talk more about it later on. Um, I guess for me personally, I would have voted for Joker in this category or Marriage Story instead. But I liked 1917. I valued it a lot. So it, it's a good it's a good choice for the best drama pick. I I think between the of the five films featured here, it is one of the better film choices here. I would even say it's better than The Irishman and The Two Popes. Still mad Little Women didn't get put in here, and The Two Popes did. It's a shame, because I don't, I don't think The Two Popes is that great of a movie. It's a good movie, but not best films of the year great. Um, best picture, musical, or comedy. 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won, which is uh, not surprising to me at all, but it is a good choice. Um, and this is a category with a lot of good choices. You got Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, Dolomite is My Name. Heck, even Rocket Man is a good choice too. I was a little surprised Rocket Man didn't get the edge because Bohemian Rhapsody got the edge last time, and I thought, oh, maybe they might repeat themselves here. But um, no, and I honestly thought Jojo Rabbit and Dolomite is My Name weren't going to get it, even though I would argue that they are better films than, uh, well, at least Jojo Rabbit, I would argue, is a better film than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I'm happy it got it, so I like to see that type of recognition for uh, Quentin Tarantino's work. But my choice would have been Jojo Rabbit, and even to some extent, I would have even picked Knives Out. But I don't know. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's a really great movie, and I, I rewatched it pretty recently. I think I could take back some of the more less than enthusiastic things I said about it. Like I finally got what the movie was saying, and I and I loved it. I think my initial reaction was shock at how they handled the Sharon Tate stuff, but I got it and I appreciate it now. So if you remember what I said back then, take it with a grain of salt. I'll be re-reviewing it later on toward, towards the Oscar nominations. I think it's going to get nominated, so it'll be a great opportunity to revisit it. And I'll have to bring a friend along to revisit too because it's going to be their first time watching it. As for the performances... For best actor in a drama, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. That's perfect. That was my choice. Best performance of that lot. I would have been happy with Adam Driver too, but Joaquin Phoenix winning for Joker, perfect. Works. I love it. Um, I think his speech was nice. I, I don't think he deserves the criticism he got for it, which was that he came across drunk, which that's not the case at all he was so he's he has social anxiety and i think i think it's a good conversation starter about how we should treat people in the in the public limelight that suffer from that and i think it's kind of sad that a lot of us assume that someone being nervous automatically means they're drunk that's not right let's let's do better next time social media um but otherwise but he did give the best male performance of the year i would say of all the performances done by men this year he was the best on the other hand for the best actress in a drama category my personal favorite or at least the one i think was the best performance didn't actually win and it would have and as you could have guessed social ronin for, as joe march and little women i felt she should have won but instead renee zellweger won for judy and other than me other than the fact that it's based on a real person. I just didn't think her performance itself was the best thing about it. I would even take her out of this category and replace her with Lupita Nyong'o for Us or even Julianne Moore for Gloria Bell. Like Those are some really great performances that I feel got overshadowed because they came out early in the year, around February, March, that those movies came out. And I think that's a real shame that because they came out early, they get ignored during award seasons. And I, heck, when it comes to real life people, if they're going to vote for somebody based on a real life person, they had other options. Like they had Cynthia Rivio for Harriet, and they also had Charlie Starin for playing Mar uh, Megan, Killer uh, Megan Kelly in Bombshell. They had a lot of good choices if they were going to go for real people roles. But instead, they chose to give it to Renee Zellweger. I think it's more of a tribute to Judy Garland than an actual testament to her performance and i think that's that's a shame because renee zellweger could act and she does do and she has proven she can act really well but i think this is one of those roles where i don't personally feel like 
she did the greatest job in the world. I think she did a good job. Don't get me wrong. I still would put her in the top 15 best performances by women this year. I even put her number. Actually, funny enough, I did a list online. I'd do it number 10. Yeah, I put her in number 10. And but I still would put the other nominees above her. I still put Cynthia Rubio, Scarlett Johansson, which I would have been happy with. I would have been much more happier with Scarlett Johansson winning for Marriage Story because she genuinely would have deserved it more than Renee Zellweger. I think I have a lot of issues with this Golden Globe because it probably means she's going to win the Oscar. And I don't think that that's something I want to really see happen. I, I think Shosha Ronan finally proved herself in this performance she has been nominated but i think this is her time to win for that performance same with scarlett johansson for marriage story heck if charlie Saron wins i wouldn't even be mad either they had three great performances to pick on and even cynthia rubio's performance as harriet tubman is a great performance too but there's so many great performances by women this year that it's a shame that because it's based on a real life person like judy garland and because Judy Garland has been notoriously ignored, was notoriously ignored by award ceremonies in the past, I get they're trying to sort of re uh, pay back a debt that was owed to Judy, but giving it to Renee, she's not even the best Judy Garland perform performer in film. I would have given it to Judy Davis, but I'm happy for her. It's just she she just wasn't my pick. Hey, stay tuned. We'll still talk about more of the Golden Globes and the other winners. And then later on, talk about Just Mercy and 1917. Two great movies you should see. Live from the Coachella Valley. He calls it as he sees it. This is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza on iHub Radio. Taron Egerton winning for Rocket Man was was a very good choice. I actually really like that choice. Um, I think that it was a very difficult category for me to pick my favorite because I think that his performance as Elton John was in some ways better than Rami Malek's performance in Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, I did say in my original review that Bohemian Rhapsody gets saved by being by having Rami Malek, but Rocket Man is just an overall better constructed film than Bohemian Rhapsody. So Taron Egerton had a lot of support while making that film, and I think that the other nominees, Roman Griffin Davis for Jojo Rabbit, he was great. I I would have not been surprised if he won. Same with Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Eddie Murphy in Dolomite Is My Name. These four choices are great. This is a great category to pick from. I, I really do genuinely believe that. Um, as for Daniel Craig in Knives Out, he was great. He really was great in that film. But again, it's it's more of a nomination than a winner. So overall, I'm very happy with Taron Egerton winning for Rocket Man. And this is not the first. This is not the only category Rocket Man is going to succeed in. I was, and I'm not at all shocked. But the other one I was more shocked about. We'll get to that. As for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical, Aquafina The Farewell. Honestly, between her and two other people, two other people in this category, um, she was she she was a shoo-in. She really was a shoo-in. I liked Anna de Armas in Knives Out, and I liked Beanie Fieldstein in Booksmart. But this is a category in which the newer actresses, the ones that are sort of branching out, 
are succeeding. And it shows you a lot how Aquafina was able to finally find a role that really fits her. And I think it's it's just a great it's a great tribute to her. And being the first Asian woman to win this category such a long way to such a long way we've come we still have a lot of progress to make but it's great to finally see asian women finally get recognition that they deserve for our film and if she wins the best actress oscar i think she'll be another that'd be another thing she would break another barrier i hope aquafina gets nominated i i really vie for her to get nominated but a golden globe win is still a win and i think that's great and Anna de Armas and Beanie Feudstein, they're going to get more nominations as they go on if they start doing great movies. As for the two veterans that's on this list, Kate Blanchett for Where'd You Go, Bernadette? I didn't even review that on the show. It wasn't great. And it wasn't honestly, it, it went away. It flopped at the box office. I knew it was. I didn't, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was awful, but it just wasn't worth the time and effort to talk about it on the show. So that tells you a lot about how I thought about that. And Emma Thompson in Late Night, I did not like Late Night. I watched it on Amazon Prime. And even in the comfort of my own home, I couldn't, I didn't really like it. And usually when I watch a movie at home, I, I guess I would be a little bit more forgiving. But no, uh-uh, not in this case. But overall, very happy with Aquafina and Taron Egerton. They gave great performances in their movies. And I think they are the best elements of their respected films. So, it's, so those films getting recognized for those categories makes sense um for best supporting actor they don't divide these up but overall um brad pitt winning for once upon a time in hollywood yeah actually i preferred this performance over tom hanks in a beautiful day in the neighborhood and joe pesci in the irishman i think this is definitely brad pitt's movie and his supporting performance was one of the saving graces of it i would even argue he was a lead more than anything but if they're going to put in the supporting category, he is the sure winner for this. So that that would be my pick. As for supporting actress, Laura Dern, Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Again, this, it's a really great pick. Um, I, I guess I would have picked... I my, my personal pick isn't even nominated. I would have given it to Florence Pugh for Little Women. I would give Little Women every win, to be perfectly honest. But that's a little unfair. But Laura Dern does such a great job in marriage story that I'm not at all mad that she would beat out Jennifer Lopez for hustlers or Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. So these are good performances, but in the case of Laura Dern, I think she deserved it. Now that I think about it, I think I preferred her performance there possibly over Jennifer Lopez and hustlers, but mm, you know what? I, I got to sit on it. I got to rewatch hustlers. I think that's a case where I have to rewatch a movie to appreciate it more. Um, for best director, Sam Mendes, 1917, that is actually not surprising. He did a really good job of making this film. Um, I'll talk about it more in the review, but I think he was very convincing and showing us a movie that looked like it was shot in one take. So it's, it's a lot of hard work, but again, my personal pick would have been for either Bong Joon-ho for Parasite because every scene in that film is very articulate and it's not very flashy. I think it's very easy to give it to Sam Mendes because he did do all that accomplishment. But even then, the one take, the one shot technique has been used in other movies before. And I think that it's gotten to a point where you can't really say it's super innovative. But and also I would have given it to Greta Gerwin in Little Women, too. It's it's a shame that she didn't get nominated. I think I would have excluded some people from this category. And it's kind of controversial to say I would have even I would have even considered 
Martin Scorsese for The Irishman to be excluded. But that's just me. You hear that music? We'll, we'll have a little bit left of the Golden Globes, and then we're going to talk about 1917, so stay tuned. Um... You're listening to Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza on iHub Radio. Feel free to call us at 760-544-8255. Feel free to call us at any time if you have any thoughts. But otherwise, stay tuned. We'll talk more about the Golden Globes just a little bit more. And then 1917 and then Just Mercy. Stay tuned. Radio, reinventing talk radio in the Coachella Valley, homemade for the rest of us. From the iHub Radio screening room, this is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Now it's just a quick rundown of the rest of the nomination of the wins in this case. Um, best original score, uh, Hildor. Um, not entirely sure how to say her last name. I don't want to butcher it out of respect for her, but uh, she won for Joker. Great. I think it's the best score of the lot. And I would have honestly been happy with Ale- uh, Alexander Desplat for um, Little Women and even Thomas Newman for 1917 or even Randy Newman. It's a great year for scores, honestly. I've been very happy about last year. I think last year was a really great year for a lot of movies and different types of technical achievements in film. But for Joker, I think the score itself was pretty strong. Best original song, I'm Gonna Love Me Again, which is written by Elton John and Bernie Tuplin for Rocketman. Not surprised that it won, but I would have preferred Into the Unknown. Um, I was a little, I guess I really was surprised. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not surprised that it was good enough to win, but I'm surprised that it was the pick if that makes any sense i don't know i felt that i had a weird vibe when i was looking at the golden gloves that into the unknown wasn't going to win and i have a feeling it's probably not going to win the oscar i'm kind of glad it, it i'm kind of i'm glad it won i'm gonna not i'm gonna love me again is a good song but into the unknown would have been my pick best screenplay quentin tarantino for once upon a time in hollywood great choice um would have given it to Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story. Actually, to be honest, I would have even given it to Bong Joon-ho for Parasite because that's a very articulate screenplay. And again, Greta Gerwin for Little Women, so I have I would have picked other things for this category. Best Animated Feature Film, Missing Link. Um, Toy Story 4 should have won this. Missing Link is a... It's okay. I think it was probably just a win, so the studio didn't have to closed down i don't know i've read somewhere that the studio that produced missing link is having trouble i kind of feel like yeah that's that's a noble cause but maybe maybe there's a reason why movies like toy story 4 and frozen 2 and how to train your dragon the hidden world why those movies succeed whereas missing link doesn't it's very telling about the studio i don't believe in pity awards it's a noble thing but don't do it don't do it you'll regret it um, Lion King shouldn't even be nominated for this category. I can't wait till the Razzies. I want to see if it, nom- if it gets any nominations. Uh, 
and the Razzies are the ones who do like worst in the uh, of the year. Best foreign language film, Parasite. That's an obvious pick, and one of, in my opinion, tied for my favorite movie of the year. It's, it's a great movie. It should have been nominated for best drama too. I would have, see, I would have taken on a lot of movies out of these categories just to put Parasite in there, along with Little Women. But overall, that was a good ceremony. I had, it was a good ceremony, good, good times, good speeches. But overall, would have picked different people for some of the awards, and I was very passionate about them, about those choices. But let's actually talk about a movie for once. <laughs> You're going to tune in for a movie show, and I end up talking about the awards for the most part. But awards are important, though. Um, 1917 is the first movie I wanted to talk about because it's the one that is getting a lot of good buzz. It won the Golden Globe for drama. So is it worthy of it? Is it worthy to move on to potentially being the best picture winner? Perhaps. Perhaps it is. Um, would have not been my pick, but I think it's on its way to being the pick for the Academy. What is 1917 about? So 1917 is about two young British soldiers during the First World War who are given a really difficult, nearly impossible mission. They have to deliver a message deep into enemy territory to stop 1,600 men and one of the soldier's brothers from walking straight into like a deadly trap. So there's this trap that the Germans have set up and these soldiers that include one of the main character's brother, um, they will be they will be killed if they go into this trap. And that's the pr basic premise. We basically see a real journey. Basically one group of characters going from one place to another. That's really it. And you see the two characters played by George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman. Um, they are Schofield uh, and Blake. Those are the main characters' last names, but in military terms, that's really their names. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like, if you're in the military, you know your friends by their last name more than their first name. And we see them actually have a really good chemistry. I got to say one thing about this film is that it is, they have excellent chemistry, the two actors. Um, George McKay, in terms of performances, has a slight edge over Daniel Charles Chapman. It's because we spend more time with him and he has the best arc of the two. I'm not going to get into it too much, but he is the one that has to grow the most throughout the film. In In the beginning, he is very reluctant to go on this mission because it's not his brother and it's not really it's not really his concern. The Dean Charles Chapman character of Blake, he's the one with the brother that's among the many men that are going to get killed by the Germans. So we already see him almost fulfill his arc by going. It's more of a physical arc more than an emotional arc. And George McKay has a, has not only a physical but emotional arc. And he has to kind of be a little bit less selfish or less, um, not necessarily selfish, but less um, concerned about his own safety and more concerned about the safety of others. And so it's great to see it. It's not that he's far from feeling concerned for the other soldiers, just... It's an arc. It's a complicated arc where it's understandable. Like, I'd rather, I, would I do this mission? That's a good question. I think the arc would be that he eventually comes to accept his importance in the mission. And I think that's a really great character arc. And anybody who criticizes the film for not having, like, character moments, there are plenty of those. It's just a very subtle and it's, it's also an emo it's also timed. So the character moments have to be really rushed because they have to go to enemy. They have to go to this other camp in a small amount of time 
basically the film of a couple hours before they're before the attack happens. So you get to spend a lot of time, but it also feels really realistic. You get to know the characters through a very small contained amount of time. And that's really powerful filmmaking, I would say. Sam Mendes really knows how to get these characters to be not only likable, but have many arcs within a confined space. And I think that's a confined space of time, I would mean. Not only, they have a whole country to explore, but the fact is, it's good filmmaking to make me care about a character in which they can't get into too much about their personal life but do little things like how the characters uh, talk about how how the characters just kind of go into a german camp not a german concentration camp of course this is world war one but like a german um trench i would say trench would be better and you see them looking at all the amenities and you see them talking about how they miss home and all that and they see and there's a picture of like a german soldier's wife and they touch the photo it's pretty pretty strong filmmaking very subtle about what they miss and i also like how it tackles how difficult it is for people like the george mckay character to go back home because war can change a person so much and make it difficult it traumatizes you and i think that's what i really love about this film is that it doesn't romanticize being a soldier and it doesn't romanticize war i've seen so many movies from the last year and there's even going to be a movie coming out next week that romanticizes being a soldier and i think that's something that most veterans don't want to hear they don't want to be called heroes most veterans honestly already have trouble dealing with their memories so it's very good filmmaking. It's very good and very considerate of the filmmaker to think about soldiers as people who have to do things, not as big heroic humans that have to go and save the day. It's really powerful, and I think it makes you feel like these characters are more relatable than some other movies, like Rambo, where Rambo has always been a movie where it's super unrealistic about war. But in the but I think I'm being a little too harsh on Rambo. Um. I would say something like The Last Full Measure, which is coming out, romanticizes war too much. Um, and I think that that's I think that's actually a really slippery slope. And I think movies like 1917 really show you the depths and fears that come into with a war. And I, I appreciate that type of filmmaking. Um, I would also say that Richard Madden, Benedict Cumberbatch and Colin Firth, they're in this movie for very small for a small period of time. But they are really effective. I think Richard Madden has grown a lot as an actor. I saw him on Game of Thrones. And he gets criticized as being one of the lesser actors of that show. But I I have to disagree with that. Because this sh- this movie, has sh- he has his one appearance proves that he will be a very effective movie star. And it's great to see him go from this, from Rocket Man. He, he was the villain in Rocket Man. And to see him give, I'm not going to spoil what his role is in this movie, but to see him in that final moment in the film, very powerful, very powerful, very effective. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch's, Cumberbatch's small role is effective. And same with Colin Firth. They do great jobs and they're very, they're not super flamboyant and you know it's them but they don't throw it in your face. And I think that's really remarkable. I think it's an emotionally powerful film. It made me, it, it kept me invested. I was constantly having anxiety about whether or not these characters are going to make it. And I, in every other scene, something terrible happens and I'm always concerned for these characters. And it made me upset that made me, certain things made me upset because I cared so much about what these characters have to go through. And it's, it sh- and this film does a really good job of, 
taking one risk. There's one scene and it involves a farm and something happens to a character. It's a risk for the film, but it works because it's so real that that would happen. And I think it's a it's a risk that pays off in the movie. And I appreciate that. And overall, I think it's a great movie. Honestly, this is a really great movie. Um, I guess I have to talk about the one the the gimmick of it being a one-shot movie and of course it's not actually filmed in one two-hour take but it looks so seamless like you can't even tell when they cut uh there are a few times like there was one time where it cut to black and then it cut back so of course if you're thinking that it's one continuous shot that might take you out but just to tell you it does do that but it's very seamless and it feels like the action never ends that's what i like about it is that it feels like we're going on this endless journey because that's how it really is. Like when you're in war, you're constantly having to move forward and keep going and keep going. And I think the one shot technique is very effective for this film because it feels like we have to continue and go. We can't stop and smell the roses. We have to continue going with the characters. And I think that's a really effective way of doing this type of thing. Um, of course, this is not super innovative. Birdman did this a couple years ago. Heck, even another movie did it a couple years before Birdman. So it's really, it's a really good film, I would say. This is a really good movie. I would say this is a one of my favorite movies from last year. One of my favorite movies from last year. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. It is now available in wide release at the at the Mary Pickford Theater, so go watch it. It is remarkable what they do with these characters. It's also technically just a wonderful movie to look at. I also want to point out that they use a song called Poor Wayfaring Soldier, and it's used at the end, and I think that's the best way to describe this movie, a movie that uses little things, uses things to its advantage at the right time. It knows when to be violent. It knows when to be somber. And I think the usage of this song was beautiful. And it made me actually consider how our soldiers are going to be out in Iran, Iran and what they're going to go through. It's stuff like that that you're really considerate. And I think that this is a really good movie to, to talk about during this time. And I also got to give credit for the film for humanizing one German, for humanizing, for humanizing war and for not making it seem like the characters are automatically the good guys because they're not Germans. So I appreciate that. It's a very complex movie about war, but I also think it's technically beautiful and just an overall powerful emotional journey that we take with two characters. Go watch 1917. It's a four-star movie. Coming up next, we're going to talk about Just Mercy here on Flicks and Picks. When you want to know what happened and why, and what's next in the Coachella Valley? Come here. iHub Radio, the local news talk authority. This is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Now here's Brian Mendoza. So on IMDb, this movie, Just Mercy, is getting a lot of review bombs. So if you like Just Mercy, please Please give it a positive review on on IMDb. Um, there's a lot of people who are attacking this film for its seemingly negative viewpoint of uh, capital punishment. So if you genuinely like this movie, please give it a support. I, I feel like people are weaponizing movie ratings boards, and I think that's really wrong. Same with Queen and Flim. Please consider 
the fact that a movie like Just Mercy is genuinely a good movie. And I don't think it deserves the low, the somewhat mediocre score it has on there. So I'm urging people, if you like this movie and you saw it, go review it accordingly. And if you didn't like it, review it accurately. I like that. You know, I want it to be accurate. Again, that's just my PSA. Please don't weaponize movie ratings. It's not a weapon. It's an opinion. And it's fine. But I wanted to get away from that because, oh boy. Uh, just it's frustrating you know uh, movie movie ratings should not be weaponized i don't weaponize it i don't I'm, if i don't like a movie i don't like a movie i don't have to weaponize a movie if i disagree with it um well i mean in some cases it's, it's, it could just be a, i'm more offended if a movie's bad more than anything <laughs> i think if anyone talks to me in real life they'll know that i'm more offended by the quality of a movie not so much its message even though the message is important too Okay, so Just Mercy is based on a book by Brian Stevenson. Now, Brian Stevenson is a civil rights defense attorney. He is famous for working pro bono for condemned death row prisoners. And in this case, it follows his relationship with Walter McMillan. He is a man who is accused of shooting a white woman, but he didn't do it. He was actually at a function for church. And there are several black witnesses who listened, who actually saw him there and testified. But it turns out that the whole case revolved around the world, the word of a white man that was acute, that was convicted of murder and spends 30 years that is, is sentenced to 30 years for murder. And Walter McMillan and Brian Stevenson has have to work together to make sure they can get in a, a retrial or at most try to overturn and drop all the charges that put Walter McMillan on death row. It's a very strong, it's a very strong story, honestly. This is the type of story, I went and saw the 60 minute story for it. It's a story that was, that takes place in the 80s. It is, this is based on a real event, by the way. You, many people might have remembered the event, but it is available, on, the 60 minutes story is available on YouTube if you want to frame a reference. But the fact that it takes place in the 80s was some of the most shocking thing, one of the shop, shocking things about this movie. Because there's so many movies out there about the 60s and 50s and how badly they treated African-American uh, individuals during that time. And, in, and it's so shocking that finally we get to see a movie from the 1980s and 90s, well, about that time era, that shows you that things didn't improve that much in the South, that people still hold a lot of racist bigoted viewpoints during that time and that racism doesn't get solved just so simply and i appreciate that, that this is a film that is such a strong film in the discourse on race because it shows you that the 80s and 90s weren't perfect and i gotta get that out of the way because it finally shows us that even today racism is still prevalent and this is the type of film because it takes place in a later time period than what people perceive to be the quote-unquote racist era of America, it shows you a lot about how racism can be so subtle. Like, literally, people's attitudes can be racist and that people can harbor resentment or, heck, bigoted ideas. Like, if they see a black man, if a black man is doing something questionable, like, literally, if a black man tries to testify in be on behalf of another black man, that people will go after him. And I appreciate that. I think this is a great movie on racism because it shows you how how people can have these very subtle, aggr minor aggressions, like just simply 
undermining a black lawyer. Basically, Brian Stevenson went through a lot of stuff. He got searched in uh, searched while visiting a prison, even though legally speaking, you're not supposed to search a lawyer when they go and visit a prisoner. And the other thing is that Brian Stevenson also got kind of talked down a lot and he was called boy. And people forget that when you say boy to a black man, it's not necessarily racist, but it's just the fact that people have used that to kind of um, emasculate um, black men. And I, I like the fact that this film shows you that Brian Stevenson never gets outright beat up or hurt for being black, but because he is undermined in the fact that he's also trying to help other black people. He's denied a place initially in the beginning of the film to rent uh, for his business. I, I appreciate that. And also the fact that Brian Stevenson doesn't really make any money off of these things. So it shows you a lot that fighting for people's rights is a penniless and sometimes very, and it could be sometimes a very rewardless position. But what you do get out of it is not only peace of mind, but you can save someone's life. And I think that's a really powerful message that this film has. As for the technical aspects, I think the script is very effective. It's very to the point. And I love the fact that this isn't a white savior movie, that black people and the black community are the heroes of their own narrative here. And the character of Brie Larson, the Brie Larson character, Eva Ansley, I like how they're showing her as supportive. It's, I think it's great to see movies about black people that save themselves. And if a white person shows up, that they're either that they're supportive and that it's done in a way where it feels like real allyship. If you ever make a move, if anyone ever wants to ask you, what is a true ally to any marginalized community? The character of Eva Ansley in this movie is a perfect example of that supportive but not going to speak over everyone. Very much, she is willing to let others, let marginalized people speak for themselves. And I think that, by the way, Brie Larson is just so good in this movie. And another technical thing about this movie is that Jamie Foxx, as Walter McMillan, is so powerful. He has very little, he's not in it a lot, but I like the fact that he is not only charismatic, you get to know him and like him as a person, but you know he didn't do it. You didn't. You don't have to show that he didn't do it, but you know by just looking at his character and seeing him interact that he's not guilty. And Michael B. Jordan does a really great job as Brian Stevenson. It's a shame that this movie came out the the time it did because it's gonna get it's gonna get honestly um, overshadowed by better movies. I wouldn't say this is one of my top favorite movies of 2019 because technically it's a 2019 movie in limited release, but it's it's a great movie. I liked it. I had a lot of fun. I had a not a lot of fun. No, it's not a fun movie. I was very glad that I saw it. Would be the best way to put it. And by the end, you if you, any script problems like there was a little minor arc with a police officer that is so pointless. It's pointless. You know, they, they try to show that this cop isn't racist by the end, and it's not very, it's not handled well. But Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Brie Larson elevate the movie. And I think the 19, the 1980 settings really shows this that this film is a perfect example of a movie that needs to be talked about on race dis, in the race racial film discourse. Great movie. I liked it. Four out of four stars for Just Mercy. And just in summary, 1917 got four stars and Just Mercy got four stars. So you got two great movies to pick from. Um, 1917 would be The Edge, but if you like, if you go see Just